When, when I was in um, seminary, I was uh, doing prison ministry as part of my field education. And one day, one of the prisoners asked me, are bastards cursed by God? Are bastards cursed by God? Now, the nature of a prison and prison ministry is that is there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons why people are not um, transparent and forthcoming. Right? No, nothing good could could come to that that inmate by explaining what he was thinking about. But I know something about the statistics of the people who were in the prison, and so while I don't know his the the exact reason he was he was coming uh, up with that question it's it's pretty easy to imagine that like so many of the prisoners he had children of his own uh, probably by by um, more than one baby mama and uh, that they weren't that that he wasn't married to anyone so maybe he was thinking about his own children but maybe he was thinking about himself because because in in that prison typically uh, uh, the, the, there was a cycle of criminality and, and incarceration that would have meant that his father was, was likely much like he is now. And so I don't know if he was thinking about himself or, or about his children, but something was bothering him. He was thinking that, that there is a sin involved in, in someone, either himself or his children or both, and and there are problems in his life. You know, he's in prison. I don't. I have no idea what sort of problems his children might have been having. But he was concerned: Is this God punishing that sin? Is the reason for the troubles the curse of God? Is God cursing bastards? Now, you may not have that exact question, but. You, you may have a similar question. You may be wondering about some other problem in your life. You may be wondering if that problem is the result of God's uh, punishment for some other sin. That, that there's some sort of trouble in your life. There's some sort of problem that you're having to deal with. And I think it's very common for people to say, well, maybe that's because of this other thing, this thing I did years ago, or maybe that, that somebody else did. Maybe this is my parents who did this. And now I'm suffering because of it. I think that's a very common, common way of thinking about um, our problems, and um, it's not biblical. Um, I looked for that that question at the time and couldn't find um, anything that taught definitively. There were a couple of examples of, of that situation, but they weren't um, they weren't described as as the result of God's curse. So it's not a particularly biblical understanding, but I think it's very common. And if you don't have that question then you know somebody who does. There's somebody else who is who is laboring under that um, understanding that the troubles in their life are God punishing their sin. And what I want to do, instead of just, just leaving it there and saying, yeah, some people think that way, is to actually look and see what does the Bible teach us about that problem, about where these problems come from, and, and uh, what is the... What is the um, the reason that they have come to us. Uh, what is a better understanding of the way God deals with our sin and um, our problems? So we are in this conversation. We've just begun looking at the stories of Elijah, the different events in the life of Elijah, the prophet in the um, in the Hebrew scriptures. So if you've got them in front of you, let's go ahead and start looking, starting in verse 8 of chapter 17 of 1 Kings. So 
So where are we at? Um, Elijah is has been hiding in the ravine um, on uh, that feeds into the Jordan River. So he's been on the east side of the country, hiding out in a place where the, where King Ahab would never look for, look for him. King Ahab is looking for him because he has told Ahab, "There's there God is judging you. God God is not going to give you any water for crops until." You quit worshiping Baal. So that's what we saw last week. And if you weren't here last week, you can catch up online. But that's the reason he's hiding out in the, the this ravine. But the ravine dries up because, guess what? There is a drought, just like um, Elijah predicted. And so now the ravine is dried up, and the word of God comes to Elijah. Three years of drought have gone by. And um, uh, the Lord says, the Lord says, get up. And go to Zarephath near Sidon and stay there. And that's that's a puzzling thing for the Lord to do because, because he's been hiding out from Ahab because Ahab is unhappy. Um, Ahab wants to find Elijah because Elijah has been um, telling Ahab, don't worship Baal. So uh, the Baal is this other uh, deity uh, that the, the people in the surrounding countries uh, worshipped. And the the heart of Baal worship is Sidon. So God tells God tells um, Elijah, go from the boondocks where nobody is, and you're being fed by ravens. Go from there to the very center of the entire cult of Baal. This is the place where uh, where Ahab's wife Jezebel comes from. It's where she and her father were were Baal worshippers and. God says to Elijah, go there, go to Zarephath, this village near Sidon. Go to Baal country and hide there. He says, I have ordered a widow there to take care of you. And that's even more unlikely. I mean, it's bad enough to say, well, the, the, the chief critic of Baal is to go hide in the center of Baal worship. But now he says, I've ordered a widow to take care of you. And we have to realize there is no social security. There's no um, retirement plans. Um, basically, you've got whatever you've got, and that's it. And if you don't have somebody in the house who's working, somebody who's able to bring in income, then you're in real trouble. And I, I would imagine at this point, um, uh, Elijah saying, I'll take my chances with the ravens. Uh, you know, I feel more likely to get fed by ravens than by a widow. Because that's how precarious the life of the widow was in this time. And so, so God says, go, go, um, get fed by a widow. And so Elijah obeys. Elijah goes, he crosses, he, he goes all the way across the country. So from, um, the, the, let me think. So he goes from, from the Jordan River, um, which is over here, and he crosses over to the Mediterranean coast, which is where Sidon is. So he's traversed the entire country. God's, kept him from being found out while he does that, and now he's in the area of Sidon in this village of Zarephath. And as he comes to the town gate, he sees a widow collecting sticks, and he calls out to her, "Um, please get a little water for me in this cup so I can drink. This is in the middle of a drought. So this is not a very easy thing for her to, to, uh, to grant him, but there's a culture in the Middle East of hospitality, so she finds some water somewhere. And she offers it to him, and he he raises the stakes even higher. He says, "Oh, and by the way, feed me. Please get me a piece of bread." 
And this is the place where she pushes back, right? The water was one thing, but the bread's another one. She says, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any food, only a handful of flour in a jar and a bit of oil in a bottle. I'm, I'm, this is it. I'm done. And I'm trying to find some sticks to start a fire so I can cook one last meal for my son and I, and we will eat the last of the food and die. This is our last meal, and you want to get a piece of it. And Elijah says to her, don't be afraid. Go and do what you said. Only make a little bit of loaf, a loaf of bread for me first. <laughs> and, uh, you know, commenters have wondered just how big of a head Elijah had. Um, <clears throat> he says, then bring that to me and you can make something for yourself and your son after that. So he kind of comes across as, as a, a jerk. Um, but, uh, but then he follows it with this. He says, this is what Israel's God, the Lord says, the jar of flour won't decrease and the bottle of oil won't run out until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So, okay, well, that, that does help. So the widow goes and does what Elijah says. She trusts him somehow. And uh, the widow and the widow's household ate for many days. So, um, uh, and, and sure enough, the, the jar of flour didn't decrease and so forth. So, so. Problem solved. God has provided for Elijah by providing for the widow. So far, so good. This is, this is the happy story we want to think about is that when I'm, when I've got problems, God will take care of me. You know, I, I want to think of myself as being in that position. Either because I'm so wonderful or because I, I know somebody. Somebody is, is in a relationship with me who can help me out in my troubles. So that's the easy part of the story. But then, then it goes on. It says, After these things, the son of the widow, who was the matriarch of the household, became ill. His sickness got steadily worse until he wasn't breathing anymore. The son dies. And um, that's where the widow stops. She says to Elijah, What's gone wrong between us? You know, haven't I... Haven't I been obedient? Haven't I done what you said? Haven't I fulfilled the calling that God put on my life before he ever sent you to me? Haven't I done the right things? What's gone wrong? Have you come to me to call attention to my sin and kill my son? Have you come to me and spied on me to... to, to be God's agent to keep an eye on me and find out what sin I, I, I'm doing now or did in the past. Is that why you're here? Was the provision just a smokescreen? Was that just a ruse that all you were doing is gathering evidence so that God would punish me by killing my son? In other words, she says, are bastards cursed by God? You know, is is it something I did that is the reason for my problems? Is it the way I behaved as a child that caused mom and dad to split up? Could I have done something different that would have meant I wouldn't have been laid off? Is the reason that I got cancer because I smoked all those cigarettes. 
is our infertility now the result of our sin before we were married? Our bastards cursed by God. Why have you come? To spy on me? To call attention to my sin? And kill my son? That's the question she asks, and it is a question many of us have asked. And again, if you haven't, I assure you, you know people who have. But Elijah doesn't argue theology with her. He doesn't say, no, no. Let me get, let me, let me explain the way God really works. Instead, he says, give your son to me. He takes her son from her, carries him up to the upper room where he's staying, lays him on his bed, and then Elijah asks God why. He says, Lord, my God, why is it? Elijah laments. And if you've ever asked that question, if you haven't ever asked that question, then you have led a charmed life. But if you have asked that question, you are in great company. Elijah asked that question. Jesus, hanging on the cross, quotes Psalm 22. He says, my God, my God, why? Elijah asks why. And then, then, he stretches himself out of the boy three times. I have no idea what that's about. I couldn't find anything in my studies that explained what's up, what's up with that. Um, but it's something they did, apparently. Because um, uh, Elisha does something similar later on. And he cries out to the Lord, Lord my God, please give this, life, this boy's life back to him. And the Lord listens to Elijah's voice and gave the boy his life back. Elijah brings the boy downstairs, gives him to his mother, and Elijah says, look, your son's alive. And she says, now I know, now I know, that you really are a man of God, and the Lord's word is truly in your mouth. When that man asked me in prison if bastards were cursed by God, I said, I wasn't aware of anything in the scriptures that said so. But I said, there is a word that is common in the Bible, um, and it's the word for orphan or fatherless. The, the, the Hebrew word means both. In fact, I can only find one place in the Bible where both words, the, the, the technical word for an orphan and the technical word for someone without a father are used at the same time. Everywhere else, there is the generic term fatherless. Because in that society, to be without a father, you know, women couldn't earn you know, the, the reason the widow's in trouble is she didn't have the opportunities to, to make her way in that society that a man would have. She needed a man to watch out for her, to, to provide for her in that society. And so to be fatherless was to be as good as an orphan. And I said, and if you look for the word fatherless in the Bible, you see God has an enormous heart for the fatherless. Over and over again, more than 40 times, in the Hebrew Scriptures, God tells people to take care of the fatherless. And in fact, this little group here, this household, so Elijah, who is living in a foreign country, he is a resident alien, he's a sojourner. Usually the sojourners we come across are living in Israel, but he's a sojourner in another country, kind of like Moses when he was in Midian. He's a sojourner. 
He has no social network to support him. The widow has, there's, there's nothing societally that would take care of her. And of course, her son is fatherless. This is a kind of trifecta that you see this more than a dozen times in scripture. This, this group of people that, that are, um, emblematic of marginalized people. They have no one to take care of them. They exist on the, the, the margins of society because no one is there to take care of them. And Jesus took this story, the story about the widow of Zarephath, and in his sermon in Nazareth, he says it's even more marginalized than that. He says, he says there were lots of widows in Israel at the time of Elijah. But Elijah was sent to one, what's out beyond the margins? Them. Those people. The Sidonians, they worship Baal. Elijah was sent into the heart of Baal country because, because God wanted to broaden the reach of his mercy. Jesus says that's why God sent Elijah there, to those people. That God has a heart, not just for the margins, people in our own town or our own community who are in the margins, but people who are in the margins everywhere. Every kind of person who is marginalized. Everybody who is saying, I have enough problems. Why is God punishing me? Our bastards cursed by God. Elijah is proof that that's not the case. God cares so much about people who are on the margins, people who are fatherless, people who are widows, people who are foreigners. And Jesus invites us to be like Elijah. Maybe Maybe for you, that means going to Zarephath, whatever Zarephath you're thinking of. Maybe it means going to prison ministry. Maybe it means going to that faraway place. But maybe it simply means going to that person who's in trouble, the one who's wondering, is God cursing me? Is this, is this my curse? Am I being punished? To just go that far, that person you know who's wondering this question. Maybe that's what it means to go to the margins. And then to be like Elijah, to provide for them. If the reason that they're feeling cursed is because they lack something, maybe God is calling you to provide it. And if you can provide a miraculous jar of oil, that's great. But maybe God's asking you to help out with something else. Maybe they need the utilities paid. And sometimes there's nothing you can do. Sometimes all you can do is, like Elijah, pray for them. To lift your voice and lament and say, God, why? This is what Jesus invites us to do, to to go to people who are at the margins, either the margins of society or people who feel marginalized by their own lives because of what God is permitting to take place in their lives. So be like Elijah. Don't have theological arguments. Elijah never has a theological argument with her. Instead, he takes care of her with this miraculous provision, and then he cries out to her on behalf of her son.
because so many people believe that God is punishing them. You know, I don't know where that prisoner got the idea that God was punishing him. But it's not biblical. And we have the opportunity as a church, as people of God, not just to tell people that the truth is different, but to show them by the way we relate to them. Let's be that kind of church. Let's be that kind of Christian. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen.